Jay is an elder here at East Vine. Really quickly, uh, in the New Testament, several times, Paul told various people, but especially Timothy, to appoint elders in every church. Uh, and there is no such thing as a church that doesn't have elders. So Shay is, a, is an elder of our church, and um, the word elder means overseer or even ruler. Now I know. Now you know. So, Abby? Yeah. Oh, Abby. Well, i got, I got a couch for you. <laughs> um, so one of the jobs of the elders generally has two areas of focus in the Bible, prayer and teaching the word. So one of the qualifications for an elder is that they need to be able to teach. We want to give Shay an opportunity. Shay has faithfully just gone to our preaching lab. He took classes with about seven or eight other people. Our church to, to get some practice in. So, so Shay's going to preach today and pull off one of the duties of an elder. I want to pray for him real quick and then turn it over to him. Thank you, Jesus, for Shay and for Abby. Actually, Abby, can you come up here real quick? Just jump in real quick. Alright, so Lord, I thank you for Shay, Abby, and this other baby that's coming, Lord, we bless them and we bless the whole Akhenato household and we pray protection over them because both of them serve so, so much and put themselves on the front line. So I pray protection, Lord, and uh, a good pregnancy for Abby that the morning sickness and stuff will wear off. Uh, would enjoy this and look forward to this, Lord, and I pray for this service, Father, that as she has an easier version of birthing ahead of all right, good afternoon, everyone. Um, before I get uh, started here, I'm just going to pray again. All right, so please join me in prayer. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity to share your word. Lord, and I just ask that you are in every word that comes out of my mouth, Holy Spirit. Lord, that you stir within my heart as I share the message and deliver the message, Lord, and you stir within the heart of those that are hearing the message, Lord. Um, and at the end of it all, Lord, this is not for my glory. It's not for True Vine's glory. It's not even for the glory of you and I looking at, but it is for your glory and the furthering of your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a background. We're still in Nehemiah. We're going to continue in the Nehemiah series, and we're going to talk about Nehemiah 5. But before I kind of get into what exactly how Nehemiah 5 I'm going to talk about. I want to kind of give you guys a background. All right, now, when we first discussed talking about um, the Nehemiah series as elders, um, we talked about it in the sense that we are in Philadelphia. True Vines in Philadelphia, right? Our leaders are all from Philadelphia. Well, majority of our leaders are from Philadelphia. We serve the community that we're in, right? And as we've seen in Nehemiah, Nehemiah is rebuilding a city. And we looked at Nehemiah as a way not just for us to share another series, another book in the Bible, but to motivate us, to allow the Holy Spirit to move us to do the same for Philadelphia. Now, I'm not from Philadelphia. I was actually born in Nigeria. Um, we moved to Willow Grove, which is right outside of Philly, when I was in ninth grade. And, you know, as I grew up, my parents worked in the city, so naturally I came to the city. I went to college in the city. And after college, I stayed in the city. But 
So you can say I came of age in Philadelphia. But I really didn't like Philadelphia, even though a majority of my experiences were in Philadelphia. So I tried to run away from Philadelphia, went to London, married my wife, came back, still didn't want to stay in Philly, found a place in Jersey. And when we got to Jersey, you know, Abby came to join me there. She wasn't necessarily enjoying Jersey because, I mean, not any offense to any of you guys that live in Jersey, but it was a bit too boring for her, you know. And to be quite frank, the Holy Spirit, like, I didn't really come to meet God in Jersey, if that makes sense, you know. So at some point, Abby and I discussed moving to Philly. And literally, the day we moved into Philly, there was a lot of joy in our hearts. Now, this is a city that at one point I would say I disliked. But all of a sudden now, I'm having this joy. And then I come to meet True Vine. Now, I have never been a part of a church, never joined a church. We never say I had a church time before coming to True Vine. And one of the things that made me, that got me into True Vine was that I realized that, because we were still at WIS, and I noticed that Pastor Rudd and Pastor Luis lived right next door. So that already was like, all right, that's different, all right? A majority of the board members and leaders in church War from Philly. So that was different. We held the carnival, which was free, to the neighborhood. That was different. So I started to see a lot of things. And also as well, like I started to come to love Philly more through True Vine, through interacting with the people in the community. Not everyone that came to our carnival is from the church, but I just still started to love Philly more and more. So fast forward. So we now start to talk. So even before we got to Nehemiah series, I started to pray for Philly. Because as Nehemiah did in chapter one, I started to mourn for Philly. Because I started to, the more I loved Philly, the more I started to see the things that plagued Philly, the things that were broken in Philly. And it really stirred within me. You know, they're closing down schools. That stirred within me, you know. Poverty stirred within me. You know, a lot of homes without fathers stirred within me. Like, these were things that I was there before that never stood within me, but all of a sudden now they were like things I was praying for. And to be quite frank, I pray more from Philly than I pray for Nigeria where I was born. You know, so when we started to get into Nehemiah, I started to, I started to see a lot of things that, okay, this is kind of why we're in Nehemiah kind of thing. So as Nehemiah did in chapter two, I started to assess Philly a bit. Like, okay, these are the problems that are going on, how do we fix it? And in prayer as well. Now, I would say that this wasn't something that came to me like suddenly, like I didn't see a solution like right away. Some things happened over the year that made me come see the solution. Now, some of you guys may have known about it, over a year ago, I was looking for a new job. Not because I hated my job, but because I wanted more money. Now, I didn't get the job. Interview went great, was called back twice, didn't get the job. My wife gets a new job. I, I don't get a new job. Jealous. But I just kept praying about it. But then I started to realize something. Because of my wife's new job, I had to be the one to watch my son. Because before, I usually left it to her. My wife would, test, would tell you, like, I was a workaholic. I would work late just because I knew that she, had, she could take care of the baby. But when she got the job and had to work late, then I had to watch my son. And then the more I started to watch my son, the more I started to realize and enjoy watching my son. 
you know? And then the more things started to kind of come together, you know, one of my things for Philly is that, one of the things that I have seen in Philly is that there are a lot of fatherless homes, a lot. Could this be a direct correlation to a lot of problems in Philly? Possibly, you know, but how do I personally solve that problem? I don't know how, but I know one thing is that I have a son. I was blessed to be a father. And I cherish being a father because we were trying for a while and to no avail. So when we had my son, I, I was overjoyed. You know, I cherish my son. I cherish the role of being a father. So as I assess the problems of Philly and look at fatherless, like fatherless homes as being a father, as a being a problem rather, I start to understand the role of a father in a house, right? Now, if we take a look at Ephesians 5.22, I'm going to get into Nehemiah in a second, but just take a look at Ephesians 5.22 to 24. That establishes the husband, the father, has the head of the household. Just as Jesus is the head of the church, the father is the head of the household. And if you look at that, it equals that as Jesus is the spiritual head of the church, the father is the spiritual head of the household. I just want you guys to just think about that as we go through this. And one of the things, like I said, is the problem is that a lot of fatherless households. So for me, being a father, I realized that what I can do or what I sh should do is be a good example of a father. So now we jump to Nehemiah 5, right? Oh, real quick, Nehemiah 3. So I talked about Nehemiah 1, at least for me, I mourn for Philly and I prayed for Philly. Nehemiah 2, I assessed the problems of Philly. And in Nehemiah 3, Jim pointed out, I don't know how many guys were here for when Jim um, preached from Nehemiah 3, he pointed out, and Nehemiah 3 is a really boring chapter, but Jim pulled something out of it that I didn't see when I read it. That Nehemiah was asking everyone in there, everyone in the city, that when you build this wall, start with the wall right across from your home. So for me, that struck a chord. Like, oh, so rather than look down the street and try and fix that guy's problem, let me fix what's here in my house. And let me start there. So now we're in Nehemiah 5. And from Nehemiah 5, I got four lessons here. Right? And I know I titled it as Lessons for Father Spiritual Leaders, but I don't want the rest of you guys to zone out. Right? I'm saying this in front of our wives that you guys support us in being spiritual heads of our households. That doesn't mean that tell us everything we're doing wrong, but show us and help us in how to do things right. I say this also to the husbands-to-be, the fathers-to-be, the single guys, and the young guys there so that you guys can see what it means to be the head of a household so that one day when you guys are head of your household, you will have lessons to look at. I also say this to the single ladies here that these are some qualities you can help your future husband if you get married. And I know some of you ladies are the spiritual head of your households. And these are lessons for you as well. 
So please follow along here. So real quick, I know Jim said everyone is kind of shy. I'm going to ask the man here to help me out. I'm going to have some Bible verses. If you do not volunteer, I am still going to call on you. All right, so you're not going to escape. So I would suggest you volunteer, all right, or I'll just call you out. And I'm only going to call the person that knows the Bible. All right, so let's look at Nehemiah 5, verses 1 through 5. Let's start there. And can I get a volunteer for one of the men to read this with me? Thanks a lot. Keith. Thanks, Brett. All right, so as I look through Nehemiah 1 through 5 first, the first lesson that I was able to draw from that is that we should anticipate problems. Now, how did I get that out of that? Well, if you've been following Nehemiah, you realize that Nehemiah's focus was not this. Nehemiah's focus was rebuilding the wall. When Nehemiah mourned for Jerusalem, he didn't mourn about this. All right. He was more focused. What, his, what he came to do was fix the walls that were torn down. So in the midst of fixing the walls, this problem comes to his attention. He didn't know about this prior to this great outcry. All right. So in our daily, in our households, problems are going to arise. We know that. We're all broken. And as part of being broken, problems arise. All right. So we should never at any point not say that we won't have problems, but rather anticipate them. So let's look on to the next set of verses, Nehemiah 6 5, 6 through 13. Any volunteers to read that for me?
Dorn. And Dorn is going to be a new husband soon, so, you know, thank you for jumping right in there. All right, now, what I take from this, or what you see here, is that Nehemiah confronts the problem right away. All right, so he hears this great outcry. He sees this problem. And rather than sweep it under the carpet, he confronts it. Now, I know that, you know, at least in my house, I know there are times where I've tried to sweep problems under the carpet because I didn't want to deal with it now because I was tired from work that day. For whatever reason, I just tried to push it aside. All right, but Nehemiah doesn't do that in this. He confronts it. Now, he's angry about it, which is all right to be angry. But we should not sit in our anger, which comes from Ephesians 4.26. We can have righteous anger, but don't let us sit in that anger. I know sometimes I get angry for pointless stuff. Like, you know, Abby left the baby bottle in the baby bag for five days. That may make me upset, but that's pointless, you know, because I could just go wash it and it's fixed. You know, but there are some problems that they're okay to be angry about, but let us not sin in our anger. And what Nehemiah does here is that after he's angry, he gets angry about this, which rightfully so, he should be angry. But then he, in, Nehemiah, um, in verse 7, he says, I consulted with myself. And what I see in that, and knowing Nehemiah, that when he consulted with himself, he prayed. Because Nehemiah has always been a prayerful man. We've seen that. So by consulting himself, he prayed about this anger, about this issue. So he didn't just go at it with whatever he thought should be done to fix it. He didn't just lash out in his anger, he knew he was angry, angry, and he prayed about his anger. He gave it to God, which is, a, for me at least, and I feel for all the men in here, that's an awesome lesson because I know that we get angry, sometimes over rightful stuff and sometimes over silly stuff. But we should bring our anger to God so that we are sure that our anger is a righteous anger and that we're not sinning in our anger. And that also enables us to confront any problem. Because before I said anticipate problems, right? And if we're anticipating problems, then we can confront the problem when they arise. And if we're bringing the problems to God, even when it makes us angry, that allows us to confront the problems courageously and not want to sweep it under the carpet for whatever reason, out of fear, out of tiredness, whatever excuse we come up with. Another thing that I could come out of this um, is that even though Nehemiah is rep reprimands them, he reprimands them out of love, right? He's just not telling them how horrible they are. He does not condemn them, right? And we can see that because as he's talking to them, he uses the word brother. And we, a lot, a lot of us use the word brother, and we use brother mostly with people that we love, that we have, that we have some sort of attachment to. So as he's yelling at them, well, not yelling at them, but as he's reprimanding them, rather, he's doing it out of love. And that is something that I know that I can use in my household. Like, if a problem arises, if I have an issue with my wife or with my son, you know, if he's going through terrible twos right now, sometimes I want to throw my boy out the window. But that wouldn't be loving. But if I'm going to reprimand him, I want to reprimand him out of love. If 
I'm going to discipline him. I want to discipline him out of love so that he knows that I still love him even though he's being disciplined. You know, I don't know how many people spank their kids. I know it's a big taboo. I'm going to say here, if you want to call diapers on me, feel free. I spank my son, right? But I do it out of love. And the reason I say I do it out of love is that I'm not beating my son for the sake of beating or taking my frustration out of my son. I spank him out of love as a form of discipline. It's different if I'm just beating him because I'm frustrated. You know, and that is something that Nehemiah kind of points out. Not that spanking, of course, but just as he reprimands the nobles and the leaders, he does it out of love. So moving on to the next point, or the next lesson here. So if anyone wants to volunteer to read 14 through 19. Thanks, Kevin. So the lesson I get out of this set of verses is make sure integrity isn't the problem. So what is Nehemiah doing here? We could look at it, if you look at it one way, you may think he's just trying to lift himself up by telling how good he is. But you can also look at the fact that as he's reprimanding these guys, He's also trying to set an example here in a sense that, look, the people are suffering. And even him as a leader is lending a hand to reduce their suffering, to help out. He's, the, he's a governor of Jerusalem. He's been set by the king to govern Jerusalem. And with that comes all the perks and benefits of being a governor. But he doesn't take of this. As a, instead, he gives it to the people. Those that need food because they're going through a famine, he gives them the food that is set for him. He opens his home and welcomes everyone to come and eat of all the great food. I mean, those of you guys that know me, you know I love meat. So when he's talking about all the ox that he's eating, I'm just imagining me there eating as well. But he's sharing all this food with the people. And this is all meant to be for him as a governor. So as he's reprimanding them, he's making sure that he himself is not in the wrong in any way, shape, or form. That he himself is not part of the problem. And that's the same thing that has men, as we're leaders of a house, we need to make sure. Now, I'm going to share something a little personal with you guys. Not too long ago, 
early, like about a month or two ago, I've made a charge on my credit card that I did not tell my wife about. I didn't forget, I chose not to tell her. Right? Now my wife is the one that handles our finances because she's gifted in that area. You know, but by me not telling her that I made this charge, she can't help me pay it off. And that undermines my authority because she has every right going forward if she just wanted to be like, I don't trust you anymore. She has a right to do that, which undermines my authority as the head of the house. You guys see where I'm going with this? So it's important that we make sure that our integrity is not part of the problem. Now that's hard and we're not perfect. And Nehemiah wasn't perfect. But as we leave, we just need to make sure. We may make mistakes along the way, but make sure that we check ourselves. And if we do make a mistake, bring it to our spouses and let them know that we made a mistake. They're there to love us and support us. Bring it to our family. Let, us know, let the family know that we've made a mistake. You know, we can grow from that. We can learn from that. And another thing is that Nehemiah points out that even though he's governor, he doesn't just sort of sit back in his office as people are building the wall. He takes part in building the wall. In our household, there are actual things that we can take part in doing. It's not just left for our wives to just do. You know, we can help out, whether it's with the kids, whether it's with housework, you know, whether it's even with helping run the finances. You know, we just don't need to just sit back as leaders of the house and lord it over our wives that I am the man of the house and you do must and you have to do what I say. You know, we can actually show them that we're leaders by helping out. I mean, Christ is our ultimate example. All right? And let's be honest, Christ doesn't take the credit, but took all the blame. He died for our sins. He took every last blame. And he took the blame for people that he did not even met, didn't even meet. He took all our blame, and that is our example. And when we draw that parallel that we got from Ephesians 5, as Christ is the head of the church, the husband is the head of the house, if Christ takes all the blame and sacrificed in silence, as fathers and husbands and heads of our households, should we not do the same? We don't need to get all the credit. I know next week is Father's Day. And we all know that everyone makes a bigger deal about Mother's Day than Father's Day. And I'll admit, sometimes I get annoyed by that. I mean, I'm thinking right now of Tupac's song, Dear Mama. Why do you not have a Dear Papa song? You know, but at the same time, as men and leaders of our household, we don't want to take all the credit. We want to, suck, we want to sacrifice in silence. What we do should be seen, not heard. The examples we give out, right? We don't need to tout and say, this is my example. This is what I have done. No. And that's how we lead, because Christ leads by serving, and as leaders, we should lead by serving as well. And one final thing that I want to kind of point out here is that A 
Okay, no, I'm jumping ahead. All right, so before I point out the one final thing is that um, in everything that, in every problem that arises in our household, right? Because remember, I started out with the first lesson being anticipate problems. All right, know that problems are going to arise. And with every problem that arises, seek an opportunity, see in it an opportunity for God to, to work. Right, because we know as men that we want to be solutions to every problem. So when a problem arises, we want to deal with it. And if we can't deal with it, we're going to sweep it under the rug. But rather, as a problem arises, rather than we try and deal with it in our own strength, let's look, at, let's look and see how God can help in that problem and work in that problem. Because that problem can be a problem today. We give it to God and it will be a blessing tomorrow. Because everyone says it, God works, God works in mysterious ways. He definitely does, and I believe every one of us here can testify to that. So the final lesson is convert problems into opportunities. Because at the end of everything that Nehemiah says, Right, the final thing he says is that, remember me, oh my God, for good, according to all that I have done for this people. He didn't say that to the people. He didn't say, hey people, revere me as a leader because I've done these great things. But he wanted to please God with his solution. He saw in that problem that arise an opportunity to please God. And everywhere, and if we go back and read through it, when he got angry, he gave it to God. When he was reprimanding the people, he did it out of love, because that's what God wants him to do. And at the end of it all, he did not stand in front of them and say, look at how great I am. No, he prayed to God and said, "Remember, like, look upon me favorably, God, for what I have done. So to wrap this all up for everyone, if we want to restore fathers in Philadelphia, we first need to be good fathers ourselves. And by being good fathers means we need to be good spiritual leaders of our household because whether you believe it or not, the problems in Philly are spiritual. We can argue about that day and night, but there's a reason why Philly has one problem after the next, after the next, after the next. There's spiritual issues in Philly. And it's not a coincidence that a lot of Philly homes lack a good spiritual leader. So if we're gonna start restoring fathers in Philly, we need to restore ourselves as fathers in our household and start with the wall that's in our house. And if we start with the wall in our house, I am pretty sure that others will see and pick up the work as well. 